I want you to look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, the seat beside me is saved for my friend. Go, look, look at, you guys are dead today. Y'all need to wait. I could live, nobody was singing this morning. I heard, I heard you. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, this seat is for my neighbor. Turn at your other neighbor, turn to the other side and say, it's not your neighbor. It's my neighbor. This seat belongs to my neighbor, right? Now, you don't know it, but you just signed up to invite somebody to church because it's your job to fill that empty seat, okay? That's your job. That's called the Great Commission. Anybody down, you know, Jesus kind of had this little thing where he said, go tell people about me, right? Do you know the average Christian won't share their faith but maybe once a year? Why would you all get so serious all of a sudden? And you wonder why the church is dying. We're not, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. It takes, it, takes, it, it takes, on average, seven asks. You have to ask somebody who does not go to church seven times for them to even think about that. And if you're only doing it once a year, whoo, right? You have to ask somebody who does not go to church seven times before they'll even consider it. That means the first six times you ask them, they're blowing you off. That's what that means, right? Now, if we're serious about this, then we'll ask them, well, if you see them at work, you ask them five times in one week, right? Okay, I got the first five out of the way. All right, the next two, I'm gonna, one of them's going to stick, right? That's what that means. And so we are called to live in community and live uh, in fellowship with one another. And we can't do that if we're shrinking, right? That's not, when I read Acts chapter 2, 3,000 in one day, that is not what I see going on in North America, right? And so what we need to do, and, and I'm excited about September 26th and the night of, of worship and repentance and prayer, because we're going to come together and we are going to worship God and we're going to repent of our sins, all right? Can I just say that as a pastor? Can I say... Somebody's going to walk out the door as soon as I say the pastor needs to repent. You're going to be like, oh, right? But I'm human too, right? I still battle the flesh. I still battle the sin nature, okay? Ride my tail when I'm driving. You'll see my sin nature come out. It's just natural, okay? But we're going to repent, and we're going to pray, and we're going to come together. And then that's going to kick off that next Sunday, that Sunday right after that, the next day. We're going to kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I've developed a fasting and prayer uh, booklet that we'll hand out that night that we can begin to pray and begin to fast and begin to believe God for a move of his spirit in this area. Amen? Too many people, I'm not even to my sermon yet, too many people have allowed COVID to be an excuse not to come back to church. I can get it on YouTube, I can get it online, I don't need to really show up. And what we're going to see today is simply that's not true. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say you can get church online. Well, they didn't have the internet back then. True, but they would have used other Greek terms and other terms to say that. You could worship with us in the spirit. Just, just know, just be with us in spirit is something that they would have said. They should have said, but they didn't say that. They said physically, get your rear end in here. Can I say that? Did I just offend somebody? All right. <clears throat> so, 
here's what I want us to do. Today I'm going to talk about grow groups, and I'm going to talk about living in community. And in grow groups, these are groups that are smaller than Sunday morning, where we come together, and you might study a book of the Bible. I know that there's going to be one on James on Wednesday night. Steve's going to lead that. There's another group that's going to be specifically studying of heaven, and Gwen's going to lead that on Thursday morning. And so I'm going to be leading through this book called Into the Wild. Um, this is written by Brent Henderson. If you, if you know Brent, he lives in the area. He's an outdoorsman. He's actually gone this week. He's in Colorado on an elk hunt. Um, but he does, uh, he is like a Bear Grylls guy. He's a Bear Grylls survival guy. Uh, he's a friend of mine. And this book is tremendous. On It really hits the heart of being what, what being a man is and the identity of manhood. And so I'm going to lead a group through this. And the good news is, is because this is for men, there's an audio book that you can just play in your truck. It's like a podcast and just listen. And he shares stories about being stuck out in the wild in Alaska and in, in the, on, the, on a safari got stuck in the wilds of Africa at night with rhinos and all sorts of stuff in here. And it's just a tremendous, it's a great read. And if you're a hunter or a fisherman or you're just like, man thing, um, then, then join my group um, and we're going to go through this together and talk about manhood uh, and what biblical manhood looks like. And I might even see if I can get Brent to come and speak to the group or speak to us as a church um, since he's in the area and he's a friend of mine. All right, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to talk about grow groups. Grow groups are groups smaller. Uh, they meet. We, you might circle around a particular topic as a Bible study. You might circle around. I know that we've had, like, in the past, we've had God's Garage where they just restore old cars and study Scripture while they're restoring old cars. Uh, we've had God and Guns where they go out to firing ranges and shoot, shoot things, um, targets. I should be specific right? Targets. Um, and um, just study scripture. And Lynn's going to lead a group on, on motherhood and, and being a mom. And so sign up for those out there. We're going to look at what community is in scripture. And um, so, I'm sorry, did I tell you to turn to Acts? No, I didn't? Okay, we'll turn to Hebrews then. <laughs> if you got your phone or your tablet or your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at an admonition. Now, when we get to the book of Hebrews, we don't really know who the author is. Some say it's Paul. Others um, say a bunch of other people. But we really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But there are five things in the book of Hebrews. If you're taking notes, you write this down. In the book of Hebrews, there are basically uh, five warnings against falling away spiritually. Okay? And I'm going to give all five of them to you. We're just going to look at the fourth one. So there are five warnings that he says, if you continue to do these things, you will fall away spiritually. The first one is this. The first one he says, just drift away. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. You just drift away. In other words, it's the idea of anybody put a boat next to a dock, but you didn't tie it off, and it just starts to slowly. And at first, the boat's drifting, but you don't realize it's drifting. It goes from being one inch away from the dock to an inch and a half away from the dock to two inches before long. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't reach the dock. So this is the word drift in the Greek. He says the first thing is that people, there's a slow drift that you don't even recognize that happens spiritually. Number two, I'm sorry, that's, that's in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Um, they drift away, Hebrews 2, 1. The second thing 
is your heart becomes hard. Your heart becomes kind of hard and callous towards the things of God. That's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. The callousness starts by just, you kind of get sarcastic about church. You get cynical towards church. You get cynical towards the things of God, that sort of thing. That's a hard heart. The third thing that we're admonished in Hebrews is a lack of understanding. You just don't understand Scripture, right? And you've heard me say before that the church, is, the church, especially in the Western Hemisphere, is guilty of using the Bible to help, help me have a better marriage, help me be better on the job. We look at all of the outgrowth of a strong spiritual life, but we never look at what it takes to have a spiritual life, and so we constantly preach on felt needs, and then we wonder why people don't show up when, because of COVID, because they're like, well, listen, I can watch a YouTube video or get that out of a book. Why do I need to go to church for that? Right? And so there's a lack of understanding of the Word of God. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrew warns us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, a lack of understanding. And the fourth one that we're going to look at today, the fourth one he says is a lack of gathering together to encourage one another, to be there for one another. It's a lack of gathering in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And the fifth thing is they refuse to... I did not write this, okay? A refusal to come under the authority of a pastor. In Hebrews 12.25. Hebrews 12.25. The refusal to come under the shepherding or the spiritual and soulish care of a pastor. I can just be a Christian and I don't, ha- I don't need a pastor. And the book of Hebrews tells us that's nonsense. That's just not. So that's in Hebrews 12.25. But for us today, we're going to talk about the lack of gathering And what we're going to see is we're going to see two things happening to the church in the New Testament. We're going to see, one, that there's a large gathering, and then we're going to see that there are offshoots of smaller gatherings. So if you've got your Bible, phone, tablet, whatever, I'm going to kick it old school with an actual book and ink and paper. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, and let's start in verse 24. It says, I'm sorry, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we del- Now, this is important, right? So what day is he talking about? He's talking about the return of Christ. He said the closer we get to the return of Christ, it's going to be more and more important that we gather together. Right Now, in the Greek, let's just stop here for a minute. I, I'm ahead of myself in my notes, but in the Greek, there is no punctuation. That period does not exist. In the, we put it in there in English to help us better understand. But in the original language, that period is not there. So if we remove that period, it gets real interesting. And he says, he goes on and he says in verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning and after we have received, uh, after we have received the knowledge of, of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Okay? Now, I'll explain why that period's important here in just a minute. But the writer of Hebrews is doing something. In, in the first part, it, in verses 19 through, 19 through 23, he's talking about the importance of holding on to our faith. Preser- staying strong in the faith. Not giving up in the faith. He uses the word in verse 20. He says, let us Hold, let us hold, that word um, in the Greek is kata lambano. Kata means from above, lambano means to hold on to. 
anybody, presidential physical fitness, is there a greater torture in public schools than presidential physical fitness in gym class? I mean, seriously, okay, there is one, actually. It's called the spelling bee. I was always the kid in the spelling bee. I'd, I mean, all right, kids, up against the wall. It's time for public humiliation. We're going to see who can't spell. And everybody line up against the wall, right? And then what do they do? They start, I'd always, I'd always, I'd always, I knew I wasn't going to win. And if, if you know me, you know I'm hyper competitive. And if I know I don't stand a chance at winning, I'm bailing out because it's, I'm not, you know, hey, Tyson, you want to play against LeBron James? No, because I don't stand a chance, right? But, so, I get up against the wall. Tyson, cat. Cat. K-A-T-T. -T. No, Tyson, sit down. And I would always pass that one kid that had got out before me. I'd be like, I knew there was only one team, cat. And so, some of you will get that tomorrow. But, it's Casa Lombano, and, and it means to grab onto something from above, like pull-ups. You grab onto that bar, why? Because you don't want to fall, right? And you got to pull the whole... Casa Lombano means to grab something from above you. It means to hold on, to white fist, white knuckle, grab onto that bar, to hold onto that. And he says to hold on to what, is, what comes down from above to us. You don't have to be a rocket scientist here. What comes down from above us? Scripture, Jesus. This is, a, this is an image of grabbing that which heaven has sent, to grab what is above you and to grab onto that. And it means unswervingly. In other words, you don't swerve. You know that kid that starts to do pull-ups and he's like pumping out, barely pumping out the last one or two and his body starts to sway and move, right? That, that, that person, he's saying, stop it. There's no swerving here. Grab on to that thing that's from above you. Hold on, to it uh, hold on to it unswervingly. Don't give in it. There can be no giving here with the gospel. It is what it is. You cannot change the gospel. You hold on to it unswervingly. Because why? Because it's the, it's the only thing that has impacted earth from above. Everything else that has impacted earth has either come from the earth or from under the earth called hell. It's the only thing that has come down from above to impact the earth. And he says we need to hold on to it unswervingly with no giving to the hope we profess. Okay, so who's doing the professing? We are. Now when you profess something, it comes out of your mouth. But the word profess means... It's, it's the Greek word homologia. It, homo meaning same. Logia means to speak. It means to speak the same thing. Well, what are we speaking the same thing of what? Right? Those of you that are married, that have been married for a while, that Lynn and I have been married for uh, 20 years. Almost 20 years. Anyway, well, I'm in trouble now. All right. So, and... And we'll sit at the table, and sometimes we'll start to say the exact same thing. Has anybody done that? You've been married long enough, you start to say the same thing, you think the same. You, it, and to say the same thing, well, what are we supposed to say the same thing as? What God says. You say the same thing about yourself that God says about you. 
well, what does God say about me? Well, I don't have time to get into this, but that's, this is literally what this word means. You are to say the same thing that God says about you. Well, it says, one, the gospel says, I'm a sinner, which means I missed the mark with God. And every time I try to do good to get to heaven, I miss the mark further because I can't do good. It's not by works, Ephesians says. And it's, then I'm to say, well, but Jesus, you came and died for me. And I believe that by faith through grace. And so I say that and I confess that with my mouth. And then as I'm a Christian and now I'm a child of God, I begin to memorize scripture and begin to read scripture. And I confess in my life what the Bible says about me as a child of God. The Bible says that I'm more than a conqueror. The Bible says that I'm the head and not the tail. The, the Bible says that he's going to work all things out for the good that love God and called according to his purpose. But if I'm in God and I'm walking in his purpose, then he's going to work all things out for good. Everything, everything works out for good, right? You guys have woken up. I'm getting some amens. I'm, that's good. All right. See, you got, you got me up here. I'm so happy I'm clapping now. All right. So, we're supposed to be doing this. And so this first section here, in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 23, he's talking about our faith, persevering in the faith, saying the same thing God says. Say, say about your family what God says about your family. Say about your identity what God says about your identity. Say what God says about your country. Speak the same thing that God says. This is why when you pray, you should be praying the gospel. Pray God's word. Say the same thing God says. And so he says, 19 through 23, he says, persevere in this. Say the same thing God says. And then we get to verse 25. And he makes a transitional statement. He's starting to transition. 19 through 23, the importance of persevering and staying strong. 25, he starts to make a transitional statement. And he says this, in verse 25, he says, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 24 starts the transitional statement. And let us consider, the word consider means to ponder, to think with your intellect, to use your intellect. Think, how can I spur on the person next to me in their faith? What drives them? What motivates them? How do I keep them going in their faith? How could I encourage them? He's making a transition. And consider. That's why I had you turn to your neighbor. Uh, this, this empty seat is for my neighbor, not yours. All right, a little, little friendly competition. Anybody up for a little friendly competition? Yeah? You better because your pastor is hyper competitive. All right? There's going to be a choir up here one day. You just don't know it yet. But in my mind's eye, by faith, there's a choir up here. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Right? There is a, there is a, you have to see things in faith, and then you have to begin to chase it down and begin to go after it, right? And so you have to believe by faith that these empty seats next to you are filled with your neighbors, and you have to see them there, and you have to pray for them, and you have to believe that is there. And so he says, consider, think how we may spur one another on or to encourage. The word spur literally means to drive somebody emotionally. Anybody ever been driven emotionally? You ever got that extra paycheck and you sat up too late at night watching Home Shopping Network and the, and, and, and the, the paycheck suddenly disappeared because you just had to have the curlers that heat themselves? You know what I'm talking about, right? 
you, you, just, you just had to have that one thing because you were emotionally driven to get it. This is the word spur. Drive somebody on emotionally. Push them emotionally to move towards Christ. So push them on. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then in verse 25, he's, he's starting to totally make this transition from persevering in the faith and staying strong in verse 25. And then he says, not giving up meeting together. This actually means physically assembling together. Not meeting together in spirit. Okay, you pray at your house and I'll pray at my house and we'll just agree in the spirit together. And you'll No, this literally means to physically show up someplace. Because what the writer is writing about is that some of the Jewish Christians that he's writing to begin to say, no, I don't need to go to the temple in synagogue. I can still be a follower of Jesus. This is rampant in society. And he says, okay, hold unswervingly to the faith. I'm making a transition in my letter here. And he says, you need to physically show up. Make it a priority. Kids little league game, not priority. He didn't say, go do whatever Junior wants to do. Too many parents let their kids drive the house. We need some parents that will stand up and say, I don't care if little Susie scheduled her birthday party at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. We have church. Right? It's about instilling the things that are going to matter because at the end of the day, I do not want to get to heaven, turn around, and not see my kids coming right behind me. That is not okay in any circumstance. And if that means that my kids have to be made fun of on this earth in what the Bible calls this tent that we live in, fine. Make fun of my kids and make fun of me for parenting. Think I'm the worst parent in the world because I won't let you go to Susie's birthday party because we got church. That's okay. Because I'm not living for this world. I'm not a part of this world. The Bible says we are aliens and strangers. Tyson, do you believe in aliens? I do. I'm one of them. And I don't suck cows up into my spaceship or anything like that. But I believe that this is not my home, that heaven is my home, and I'm just passing through. If this world is your home, have fun for 85 years and do whatever. We, we talked about worldview uh, we talked about worldview a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, right? Go ahead, do whatever you feel like doing. Let your feelings and emotions guide you for the next 85 years. I've got more important things to worry about, right? And so he says, meeting, physically meeting together, uh, some are in the habit of doing by encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the return of Christ. He said the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more important it's going to be to encourage one another and stay connected. Why? Because the earth is going to go. Just this morning, I just read about this. Do, do you know, everybody knows that like the West is on fire, right? We all agree on that? Okay, just this morning I read this. They're now having fire tornadoes in California. Tornadoes made of fire. Look, I, I believe in God's grace, but at some point you have to go, this is judgment. At some point, we need some ministers with enough gall and enough guts to stand up and go, no, this is God's judgment. When's the last time you saw a tornado made out of fire ripping through places? At some point, you have to go, uh-uh, 
If we don't repent, if my people who are called by my name don't repent, and we often think that God's judgment, not even right now, we often think that God's judgment is God doing it. No, 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 that's God's wrath, and that's far worse than his judgment. God's judgment is simply going, you want to go down that road, then I will remove my hand of protection, and I will let nature and humanity reign. And what we're called to do is repent and ask God, God, no, 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 we need your hand of protection, because we will not survive the impact. Right? That is our job as followers of Christ. And so he says, stay hold, hold fast to the faith. He says, I'm making a transition now. Continue as you see the day approaching. And in the Greek, there is no period. As you see the day approaching, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received. I'm not saying not attending church is sinning. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, man, the writer of Hebrews makes it really, really close to that. And I think it's something for us to consider, to think about. If we love Jesus, if we love God like we say we do, then we want to come together. We want to grow together, right? We want to come together and work together and encourage one another and, and fill one another up with, with the Holy Spirit and pray with one another and carry one another's burdens. This is, um, he says, we're supposed to meet. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't give any guidelines to how we're supposed to meet, right? And that's the beauty of it. I mean, we can meet on the hillside. We can meet wherever. But we are to come together. So let's turn, it, turn over to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, 46 through 47. Let's just look in closing. Let's just look at an example. My son always says, yeah, you're a preacher. You say in closing, which means you got another 30 minutes. And then he rolls his eyes at me. But what's the, what's the example that we see in the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. I'm sorry, 42 is not there, Bill. But uh, let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in 42. 46 will be on the screen, but 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if we back up to verse 42, which isn't a, there's not a slide for it, so let's roll with it. But in verse 42, I want you to notice the order in which things happen. Notice the order in which they happen. It says first that they devoted. The word devote means to take your face and turn it and fix it. So if you notice that everything on the face is forward-facing, like we don't have eyes in the back of our head, how weird would that be anyway, right? Everything's facing forward. And so you can really only face one thing at a time. So if I'm facing Jesus and my gaze is fixed on Jesus, then I don't have time to gaze over here. I, do, I, I can't be turning my head. You know, that, you know that track runners are taught to never look behind them? 
Because every time you, when you turn your head, you slow down. Your body cannot turn its head and keep at the same top rate of speed. It can't happen. Your body can't do it. Every time you turn your head, you slow down. And so they train Olympic and college and high school track runners. Do, I don't care how close this guy gets behind you. Do not turn your head because you'll lose it. And so he says, you have to face Jesus every day, all day, because the minute you take your eyes off at Jesus, you'll be like Peter walking on the water. And not that God won't save you, not that Jesus won't be there to save you, but honestly, I'd rather just keep walking on the water, right? And so keep your, and, it, and then he says, okay, so they were devoted, what were they devoted to? That's the first thing he says, they, they were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to scripture. Right? And then what was the next thing they were devoted to? Fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. Scripture, hanging out together. You know what happens in fellowship? Discipleship. Discipleship happens in fellowship. Jesus said, go make disciples. Do you know why the church isn't making disciples? We view making disciples as a program, as a process. Okay, go to class 101, 201, 301. We, just, we see everything as a process. That's not hanging out. That's not eating together. That's not hanging out together. That's not going to our kids' ball games together. Discipleship happens in fellowship, doing life together, being together, rubbing elbows together. And then the next thing they were committed to is prayer. Breaking of bread happened in fellowship, and so I'm always down for food, right? But the next thing, it was, it was the word, fellowship, and prayer. They were committed to prayer and praying. And, and then look at the next part. It says, and then everyone was filled with awe, and then what happened as a result? Wonders signs and miracles begin to happen in the church. We're gonna, we're gonna where the, where, where'd the miracles go? I wonder if we're as devoted to Christ and the word and prayer and fellowship as they were in the early church. They had to be. You know why? Because they were persecuted, beheaded, and killed for their faith. They were committed. They were committed. And it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and to give to anyone who had need. And every day, now get this, every day, here we go. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That would be church. Could you imagine church, going to church every day? Like, that was their life. Now, he, he's talking about Jewish Christians, so every day at about 3 o'clock after they get off work, I'm... I'm I'm fluffing this up a little bit. But typically, after work, they would go to the temple. You get off work, you, go, you don't go to the bar, you go to the temple. You get off work, you go to the temple. You learn scripture. And then you leave, and then you go out to eat together. You hang out together. You break bread together. You begin to fellowship together. You work together. They went to the temple. They went to church. They went to the synagogue as a big group. They broke and um, they continued to meet together in temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
big gathering, little gathering. One doesn't negate the other. It's about being together and doing life together. And so when we talk about these grow groups, we're getting together to begin to do life together, to learn together, to learn from somebody else, right? That I don't have the answers for everything, you don't have the answers for everything, and as we get together and we learn from one another and we begin to grow together, we begin to unify. We begin to come together like cogs in a watch, right? We begin to work together and know about one another more and learn together and 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 fellowship together. This is what the early church was doing. It wasn't just showing up to church and then going on about our way and, and, and not hanging out together outside of church. It was, we're hanging together outside of church as well. And we're talking about the Bible and we're praying together and we're growing together. Why? Because our eyes are gazed on Jesus, not anything else. The problem is we have too many options. Well, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this and I got to do that. Let me give you a prime example. Prime example of this. Emails, right? How many of you, when you're going to work Monday morning, one of the first things you do is check your email? Yeah, that's pretty typical, right? And then what happens in the workplace? Well, you start responding to your emails, right? Okay? We just, we just respond. There's so many emails, so many options, so many things I need to take a look at. I just need to look at them and respond. Okay, so you go on vacation for a week, okay? And you don't check email. What happens that following Monday morning when you first come back from vacation? What do you got? Now, I know the answer to this. I don't see somebody else raise their hand. So put you on the spot. On average, how long does it take you to get through all of the week's worth of emails? Close. Two. It takes the average worker after vacation about two hours to get through all the emails which tells me there's a whole lot in there that really doesn't need to get done. But throughout the week, every day when you're in it, you're responding one after another. Oh, my God, i got to respond to that. i got to respond to that. i got to answer to that. Okay, I'll set that off to the side and come back to that later. But when you go on vacation and come back, suddenly you've now got to prioritize what's important. The same thing has happened in our lives as a whole. Everything just hits us all the time. I've got to respond to that, and i got to follow up with that person, and I need to get over here and do this, and I need to get it, and I need to... But the Bible says there's only one thing that we really need to focus on. Jesus. We live our lives checking our emails all the time. And I don't mean emails. Emails is a metaphor for everything else going on or in your life. But when you start cutting stuff out, you really get down. There's only a few things that are really important in life. Right? I mean... Let somebody in your family get deathly ill, and you'll figure out what's important. Why do we have to wait till somebody in our family gets deathly ill before we get our priorities right? Why? You know, shame on me too. And I, I don't say this to shame you or, or, or to make you feel bad. I, I'm doing it as a call to say, listen, there's one thing that's important for us. It's Jesus. It's his word. It's fellowship with, his, with the body of Christ and his family, and it's prayer. And when those things begin to happen, it says that people outside the church looked in awe at the church and went, what is that? I want some of that. What, would, what do you think would happen if the world really began to see a church that was unified? 
What do you mean? But you're not like them. No, but we go to the same church and we get along and we work together. You don't agree with them. No, but we go to the same church and we get along and we work together. What? You can do that? Right? That Barnes notes, when Barnes wrote his notes on Hebrews chapter 10, he says that the church, the body of Christ, is really the only thing in the world where differences can be put aside and one common theme can come out. He says, and so it's most important that we focus and put our energies and our efforts towards the things of Christ, not so much the things of the world. Imagine what this community would look like if the church came together and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the word, fellowship, and prayer. We'll keep it at that. We'll keep it at that. And we're going to keep it simple. And we're going to caught up in all this other stuff. And we're going to keep it simple. And we're going to unite around that and stick to that. The world would see an organization, a, a thriving, living organization. And I believe, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts, that that's when you begin to see, as it says in Acts chapter 2, then what follows? Miracles. Signs and wonders. And people begin to go, oh, really? That happened? Yeah. So when we get together in these grow groups, I want to encourage you, sign up for a grow group. Right? Um, sign up for one. Get involved. Begin to fellowship. Begin to, begin to see God moving in other, people, in other people's lives. That's what we're about, is working together, coming together. Don't your neighbors need this? Don't your coworkers need this? Let's not hold out on them. We've got the best, got the best news ever, don't we? Now, you're going to have to ask them seven times for them to even think about it, but that's okay. You know that now. Like so many times we're like, I asked them, they said they were busy. I asked them again, but they said they were busy again they're blowing you off but now you know they're blowing you off you've got to by the time you get to ask number 10 now they're starting to really seriously think about it it's okay is their soul worth it i need to ask that again some of you are like i don't know i don't really like them <laughs> is their soul worth it yes all right, then let's go out and let's do that. And let's sign up for community groups. Get involved as a body. Rub elbows with somebody you don't know and learn something new about somebody so we can operate in fellowship, the word, and prayer. Let's stand up. We're going to close with a song. If you're here this morning and you would like prayer for anything, maybe you're here this morning and Maybe you need prayer for your family or prayer for really for anything. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. I'm tired of trying to do life on my own because it doesn't work out so well. If that's you, come forward. I want to pray with you. Maybe you're a little skittish, like I don't want to be in front of a bunch of people. I'll be standing at the door. Just say, hey, that's me. I want to accept Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you about what that means but let's let's sing this out